Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I am Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. We are previewing Dolphins Jets week number two, heading into week 14 at MetLife Stadium. The Jets are favored by five and a half points. I don't know how, but they are. Temperatures expected to be in the 40s as the Dolphins try to sweep Adam Gase and the Jets here this year and really go for their fourth straight win over the Jets dating back to early 2017. Paul, as we know, there's a MetLife takeover that Dolphins NYC puts together every year. It's, it's become this huge thing. It's in its 10th year. What, uh, what can you say about that? I understand that we've both been feeling under the weather this week. So this is going to be the first time you're not able to make it this year. It is. I, I wound up getting downgraded to out on uh, the, the report, unfortunately, for this week, last minute this morning. Um, kind of knew it was a possibility all week after uh, coming down with Lyme disease, which is not fun, I will tell you, for our listeners out there who have not had it. But I'll tell you, I mean, it, it's it's an experience like no other. I mean, it, they have a huge pre-party on Saturday night at the bar. Solo D performs, who does our theme song. Um, they have giveaways, raffles, hundreds of Dolphins fans at, at Slattery's Midtown Pub up in New York City. Uh, Sunday morning, typically a lot of the folks, not everybody, uh, get up, hop on the buses right there at the at the pub, uh, and you know have some coffee and donuts, whatever. Head on over. They have a big catered tailgate. Usually, Tom Garfinkel, Jason Jenkins. Joe Rose, Nat Moore, um, several Dolphins greats like last year was Clayton and Duper uh, were out there at the tailgate amongst a few others. I mean, it, it's really a wonderful, fantastic time. Um, you, then you go into the stadium and you're sitting with three, three and a half sections of Dolphins fans all together being loud. And, and really, if, if you were going to this MetLife takeover this year, I know I've had a lot of really good interactions with fans at, at, when I've gone. Yeah, for one, if you know my dad, give him a hug. For two, get loud. We can hear you on TV, uh, which sounds weird to me to say we can hear you because I'm used to being one of the people being heard up there. But now, Igor, Michelle, Alex, uh, Brian, you guys put on such a great event for Dolphins fans. And, oh, yeah, there's a huge bonus that goes to charity off the event as well. So if you if you ever get a chance and don't go this year, make sure you go next year. I'll be back there. It's such a great time. Very good. And, yeah, I hope I can make it up there one year. I'm, I'm in St. Louis. Uh, this is in New York. So uh, I'm going to do my best one year to, to certainly make it up there too. But, yeah, Dolphins and NYC, they do a great job on that. And, yeah, I remember 
here in 2016 when the Dolphins played the Jets on Monday night, hearing all the Dolphins fans up there and some of the players actually mentioned it after the game, unprovoked that they were hearing Dolphins fans. So it's great to travel that well. Um, so before we get into the game, Paul, you know, we debated whether or not even to have this on the show because we don't want to give a certain person here any more any more airtime or exposure than they deserve. But we can't help it. And it also goes in line with where the Dolphins are right now uh, and how we feel about Brian Flores and this team heading into the final four games of the year. So Omar Kelly from the Sun Sentinel has gotten a lot of mostly negative attention this week by basically coming out and saying that the Dol that Dolphins fans need to pump the brakes on Brian Flores. And to be quite honest, I thought that was a pretty legitimate point uh, at the beginning. But then he went on to expand on that. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a bit, because he had a big blow up with uh, Joe Rose, who you mentioned, in about a 20 minute segment. And I, I invite everybody to go listen to it because it, it was it, it got testy. It was a fiery segment. That's for sure, because Joe Rose is of the belief that the Dolphins have improved throughout the year. I think we're all under that impression. And Brian Flores is doing a hell of a job for how little he has, especially over the last two months of the season. So what was your, when you took a, took a look at, or listened to this interview, Paul, or this back and forth, what, what were your thoughts on this? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this too. It's off camera, Joe Rose, Omar Kelly, two of the nicest people you will meet off camera. On camera, in writing, you name it, Joe Rose, usually a pretty spot-on individual, very honest individual. Um, whether you agree with his opinions or not, he, he allows for the fact that not everyone's going to be of the same opinion. Omar Kelly got everything and more that he wanted this week. Um, as you and I talked about off the air, Joe Rose could have utterly destroyed him at the end of it and destroyed his career pretty much and didn't. I'm going to go with almost unfortunately because what Omar Kelly is doing is sensationalizing for clicks. People are starting to buy in on Flores. He's going to tell you you're wrong and make you argue with him and get him attention and get him clicks. People are out on Flores. He's going to come up with some argument for why you should be all in on Flores. Same thing with in that interview, he's talking about the fact that, you know, Gates did a really good job and had similar rosters and, you know, the fact that he's saying everybody's roster is in the same state as Miami's at the end of this year. Miami started the season with a mostly CFL, XFL roster. And Miami's got a depleted version of this CFL, XFL roster, and they're playing better. Omar Kelly wants to throw out seasonal stats and ask how they're playing better. Of course you nitwit. They did so poorly at the beginning of the year with a broken roster that it's hard for them to recover very far from that. And that's going to equate into their overall rankings for the year. I mean, it, it's, you can use statistics to make stupid arguments. And, and unfortunately that's what we heard Omar do in that interview. And yeah, Joe Rose lost his mind. Good for him. I don't blame him. I mean, I was listening to that and I probably would have been losing my mind if Joe wasn't doing it for me. Well, it, here's a couple things as, as first, as far as, uh, I'll, clarify that Omar Kelly did not specifically say that they have the same 
rosters or anything like that. A couple of comments he made is one, uh, Patrick, he said that uh, Joe Rose had said Patrick Laird is Dolphins starting running back for Christ's sakes this week. And, and Omar said, well, at this time of the year, pretty much everybody has a Patrick Laird type of player. No, they don't. That's this is an undrafted free agent who wasn't even playing two weeks ago and is only playing because of of all the injuries to the team and and so there's that and then you've got uh, well uh, in twenty eight uh, two thousand eight in Tony Sperano's first year they were relying on a lot of undrafted free agents no they weren't Devon Beth the only reason he got on the field was because he was one of the surprises of the training camp and he earned it not because. Like Nick Needham or Deion Calhoun is being thrown into a starting role here. And as far as statistics, said what is one area of the team that they have improved in since the beginning of the year? Well, I'm glad you asked because here are some cold hard facts. In the first four weeks of the year, they were getting outscored uh, 163 to 26, over 34 points per game. Um, they were averaging six and a half points per game in the first four games. Now they're averaging 20 over 21 points in the first four games against the pass. They were allowing opposing quarterbacks to have a quarterback rating of 132 over the last eight weeks. That's 82.7. Now uh, they have the fifth fewest penalties in, in the league this year. Uh, and you look at the players now who have gone from really busts are completely unknown players to starters for next year not just starters for the dolphins but likely starters for what would be a lot of nfl teams and those guys are players like Devontae parker and preston williams if he's healthy mike kosicki john jenkins vince beagle eric rowe and then you factor in fitzpatrick and, and nick needham and these types of players playing well you've got eight players right there that have dramatically improved throughout the year they also won two games against the Colts and the Eagles where they were double-digit underdogs. Uh, so, and, and now we're talking about here in this game, Paul, where if the Dolphins win against the Jets and sweep them and go to 4-9, and nine, again, not, not a record to write home about, but they go to 4-9 and nine, and the rest of the favorites win this week, the Dolphins may be picking eighth in the draft heading into week 15. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I, I know I made this point last week. I'm fine with wherever they fall in the draft at this point. I'm fine with it. Um, I, I kind of want to see them win right now. I, I want to see them build up that character, build up that culture, be able to attract the free agents they need to, especially along the offensive line this offseason, um, and, and really just start making some waves because this this is a coaching staff I can get behind. I mean, you look at – what they've been able to do at times with this offensive line. Um, I'm not going to say he's, he's not getting the most out of these guys because, let's face it, I mean, no running game. It, it's funny how much different it looked when they started throwing the little screens to Patrick Laird out of the backfield. The defensive line had to account for something else. Um, that's all I'll say on that. Well, but, I well, mean, really. And, Paul, if I could interject there, too, you know, as far as improvement with running back and offensive line, that's that's another good point I'm glad you brought up, was that they're not going to improve this year with those two units. I mean, other than Patrick Laird yeah. catching a few passes, I mean, th th they may not have an NFL-caliber running back or offensive lineman on the roster other than maybe Jesse Davis. So, <laughs> they, to me, they get a free pass at those two positions this year. But see, my point there, though, too, is you look at – how much more effective that offensive line got 
in the game last week when the defense couldn't just pin their ears back because, let's face it, you didn't have to worry about Kalen Balazs going anywhere. You could pass rush and he was going to run into one of your guys. Uh, but with Patrick Laird coming out of the backfield, they have to hesitate a little bit and watch for the screen game because Patrick Laird can actually catch the ball instead of ducking out of the way. And so, I mean, that offensive line, I'm not going to call them good, but it's serviceable if the defense has to worry about both aspects of the offense in some form or fashion. And we saw that last week. Once, once Miami got a little bit rolling in that regard, it opened up the entirety of the offense. We saw it two weeks ago uh, at the very end of the game when Laird got on the field and, and even a little bit of Gaskins. Uh, so, in reality, they need to revamp this offensive line. We know they do. But at well, least they're finding ways to make them serviceable here. Uh, yeah, I, I think the situation made them a little more serviceable uh, last week because they got destroyed in the first the first quarter of the game. And then Balazs leaves the lineup, and like you said, they start attacking downfield more because when you've got a running back that can flip out into the flat, you got to account for him. That affects the pass rush. And hopefully the Dolphins learn their lesson there. Yeah, and Miles Gaskin, two carries for 20 yards last week. Hopefully he gets on the field a little more. I, you know, I yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting there, there at running back. On offensive line, I, I mean, I, I think this is a complete nightmare of a unit still. But if they can get two offensive tackles in the offseason, it's very deep in the draft and there are players available in free agency – like I've said before, I think it forces all those other resources inside the center and guard. And, and if you're lining up next year, you know, Michael Dieter, Evan Bame, Daniel Kilgore, Jesse Davis, and having them compete for those three interior line spots, I still don't think that's good enough. But I think you can pass with those with, with that interior line at that point. Yeah, no, you, you can. I mean, there there are definitely some serviceable players. I'm I'm a little bummed about Isaiah Prince getting caught because I do think he's somebody that once he added a little bit of strength could have done something. But, hey, I mean, I, I'm not there at practice every day. So there obviously was something that the coaches did not like as far as things went with Isaiah Prince. So yeah, good, segue. good luck to the man. Good segue into what, um, into what we're, we're talking about next year is the Dolphins overturned over 11% of the roster this week. We've, see, we've, we've seen this happen a few times over the last couple of months. So a lot of roster moves this week. They signed six players, believe it or not. Um, so they they signed running back Zach Zenner. He was with the recently the Cardinals and the Lions. More of a, uh, a thumping fullback looking type guy. Um, wide receiver Mac Hollins was a former fourth round pick of the Eagles. Very good special teamer. I'm not quite sure why it didn't work out there. Um, but he's got about 35 catches here over the last two years, 6'4", 210. Uh, Trevor Davis is an interesting guy because it would, wouldn't surprise me this week if he were the kick returner and punt returner. He does have experience there. John Gruden thought enough of him to trade a conditional six-round pick for him. He had a 60-yard touchdown run in the first game against the Raiders and then – or for the Raiders and then just kind of fell off the map from there. So keep an eye out to whether or not this week Davis or Marcus Sherrill's gets the lion's share of the returns. Uh, Evan Brown, a center uh, that was on the Giants practice squad last year. Uh, Lyndon Stevens, also a practice squad guy. I believe he came from Denver, a cornerback. And, and Zach Seiler, a defensive end. This is a player that uh, I watched 
last year in preseason, 6'6", 300 pounds. The Dolphins don't have a defensive lineman with that type of size. Hopefully he gets in the rotation a little bit more this week so we can see what a player with that size can do. Um, to make room, and they had to make a lot of room, they put Kalen Balaj and Ken Crawley on injured reserve. Um, they cut Isaiah Prince, who was quickly signed by the Bengals. They cut Chris Reed, too, and that, that's an interesting story. They also cut Montre Hardage there, and he's already been put back on the practice squad. So, Paul, a lot of under-the-radar moves this week. Uh, anything else stick out at you other than Prince? No, I mean, I think they're just trying to throw a few things at the wall, see if anything else sticks for next year at this point. Um, I mean, the Zach Zenner thing makes absolute sense with the injury to Cameron Balaj last week, or let's face it, it would have made absolute sense a couple weeks ago with the play of Cameron Balaj. But, I mean, other than that, I kind of like the fact that they got a little bit of a smashing running back. You you know me. You know I like having one of those on the roster, and I don't feel like Miami has to this point. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that, I Unfortunately, I think they still don't. I, I don't think much of hmm. Zach Zenner, but – We'll see. I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I would have preferred to sign more of an unknown running back than somebody who I know, frankly, kind of sucks. So we'll, we'll see. Um, now let's get to the game here, Paul. As far as the, you know, the big news really is the injuries because uh, the Dolphins finally this week, it shouldn't have anybody miss the game with an injury. Every, they're really back to full strength other than the guys who were on injured reserve that we've talked about for the Jets. They put C.J. Mosley, their prized free agent linebacker, on injured reserve. He's missed the last few weeks. Uh, he didn't play against the Dolphins last time either. They're going to be without Jamal Adams, who's probably their best player. Um, Le'Veon Bell at running back, the Dolphins and Brian Flores said they're going to prepare as if he'll play, but he's been sick all week, and he's really iffy for this game, and maybe he does get held out. They'll also miss Brian Poole, one of the better nickelbacks in the, in, in the league, as well as... Uh, starting right tackle, rookie Chuma Adoga. So uh, a lot of injuries there uh, for the Jets that, that could give the Dolphins some some matchup advantages here. Well, not only that, they've got a number of folks in their secondary that are also listed as doubtful or questionable for the week. So, I mean, it, it's it's really their secondary could be exposed in this one. I mean, even Ryan Griffin is probably going to play, but he's listed as questionable after missing some time with an illness this week. And, and Tight end Ryan Griffin was one of those guys that I know you remember. I told us, I said that we needed to watch out for in that first game. And boy, boy, did we. I mean, he he was about the only weapon on the field. I mean, if he does play, you've got to account for him and you've got to account for, for Robbie Anderson. Otherwise, you know, the Jets will eat you up. But if you account for those two, there's no one else on this roster unless Levy and Bell plays that, that scares me right now because of the way the injury bugs hit them on offense. Yeah, they're going to have Bilal Powell likely starting at running back. And this is an amazing story with Bilal Powell. I mean, I, I can't recall a time that I've ever seen a running back play with the same team for nine years and never start and always be the number two guy. And that has been who Bilal Powell is. I feel bad for him. He's never gotten that opportunity. But then again, I guess the 30 or $40 million he's made over his career has uh, has served him well. But uh, on the on the Jets' offensive side of the ball, I was getting worried about the Jets here a couple weeks ago because they put together three straight wins, albeit over the Giants, Redskins, and, and Raiders, where they scored 34 points in each of those games, and they won each of those games. And Sam Darnold looked very good in those contests. And I, you know, 
hate to say it, I, I do think Darnold's going to keep getting better and, as as a quarterback in the NFL. But he hasn't been good for the against the Dolphins, that's for sure. You look at his three career games against Miami, he has 823 yards passing, two touchdowns, seven interceptions, 63.1 quarterback rating, 0-3, and averaging 12 points per game. But, Paul, too, like you said, it, it seems like the matchups favor the Jets at their wide receiver spot. I mean, you got Robbie Anderson, you got Jamison Crowder, Demarius Thomas, and Ryan Griffin. For a team that's as bad as the Jets, the, the, that's that's a pretty decent receiving unit. It is, but it, it, it's not Alshon Jeffrey, you know, freaking Dallas Goddard. You know, I mean, it's not what anything better than what they faced last week by any stretch of the imagination. It's, you know, Demarius Thomas is not the Demarius Thomas of a few years ago in Denver, by far. I mean, Demarius has already been, you know, ousted from a roster once this season. Ryan Griffin, Demarius Thomas, they both have had some health issues this week as well. I mean, and then you look at both offensive tackles for the Jets, not just the Doga, but uh, Kelvin Beecham. He's also got some ankle stuff going on. So, really, they're just decimated on offense and in their secondary. So, this should be a game that Miami could potentially light it up if they play like they did last week. Yeah, and mentioning the Jets' tackle situation, I mean, I don't think Brandon Shell and and Kelvin Beecham are very good to begin with. And Beecham is questionable, so he may not even play. And I Mm -hmm. I will say – in the last game, Vince Beagle may have had his best game as a Dolphin. He had he had four hurries and two quarterback hits, according to Pro Football Focus. He was in the backfield a lot, making things uncomfortable for Sam Darnold. Uh, Taco Charlton, you know, we've talked about him being very hit and miss, um, mostly miss, even though he's got five sacks and two forced fumbles on the year. I thought he played his best game as a Dolphin last week against uh, against Lane Johnson. thought he got actual penetration. Um, on a down-to-down basis. I, I didn't think he took himself out of as many plays. So for the first time all year, if Taco Charlton can bring what he did last week and Beagle can do what he's done for most of the year, Dolphins may may be able to actually get some push here. They should be able to. I mean, it's Taco Charlton's at his best when he plays against college-level players, and that might be what he's going up against with, with this Jets offensive line. I mean, and, and don't discount Charles Harris. I mean, he's been slowly turning it around, even though it doesn't show up on the stat sheet. So if he gets a chance out there, what we've seen of Raquan McMillan, and I really like some of the creative ways that we've seen flashes of with blitzing Sam McGuavin and Jerome Baker. Um, it could get real interesting in a hurry against this Jets team because they just don't have the protection for Sam Darnold right now. Yeah, and, the the big worry I'd have with that though too is if you get a little blitz happy, if Levy and Bell misses this game, you may see Ty Montgomery end up in the backfield and and he really can be a, a sneaky little threat coming out of the backfield if you get a little too blitz happy. Yeah, I, I always thought Montgomery was going to be a little bit better than what he's shown in the NFL so far. But yeah, he is a receiving threat out of the backfield. I mean, he wears number eighty eight for Christ's sake. So yeah, and you mentioned Raquan McMillan. Uh, he had a monster game against the Jets in week week nine. Uh, PFF gave him a 92.2 grade, uh, which I believe was the highest for an inside linebacker that week. 
Um, so he he's continues a very, very good season. And yes, Sam Aguavion is without question uh, coming off his best game of the year. He's been largely a disappointment, but last week he had a huge sack that led to an Eagles missed field goal that would have put the Eagles up by 11, and he had three tackles for loss. So it'll be interesting to see if he puts together two games back-to-back like that. And in terms of the matchups, you're right. The Eagles probably had a better receiving and tight end unit. In fact, they did than the Jets have this week. It'll be a good challenge because Nick Needham and Ken Webster and getting Stephen Parker back, we've got to see where they stand in the pecking order heading into next year. Is is Ken Webster uh, is is he somebody who can challenge for the starting job opposite Xavier Howard? Probably not. Uh, is Nick Needham going to be somebody who does that? Are these guys going to be sixth, seventh, or eighth defensive backs and factor in on special teams? Uh, Dolphins have to find answers to those questions. Um, but also, too, Paul, good for Eric Rowe this week, getting a contract extension, three years, $18 million, $7 million guaranteed. It looks like he's going to be the starter at strong safety heading into next year. But the, the defensive back unit is the one I'm really looking at toward the end of the year. I feel like I have a pretty good feel on the rest of the positions for good and for bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot that I think Miami can see with the secondary as we move forward here. Um, and again, like I'm a huge fan of Ken Webster. I mean, it, it's, I really like what they've gotten Nick Needham, but I think that that's something that they're going to have to address in the off season. Um, you know, cause you add a Byron Jones and a draft pick or two, in, in the secondary, and suddenly that's a really, really lockdown secondary out there. I mean, what they're getting out of these guys that, let's face it, I mean, I don't dislike anybody that's back there. I mean, even Jamal Wilkes has gotten serviceable, uh, which I can't imagine what that could be other than coaching. But you, you do have to add a little bit to the mix in this offseason. But you just want to see what's worth keeping out of the what you've got. Oh, I completely agree. In fact, what I'm starting to get intrigued by is for a, a defensive back group that, you know, is really adopting almost carbon copy of what the Patriots are doing defensively, they're going to pour a lot of money and resources into defensive back. And I think they're going to they're, they're going to be sure they have a good free safety opposite uh, next to row and a good boundary cornerback opposite Xavier Howard. Let's say they get Byron Jones and Justin Simmons this offseason, just for argument's sake, you would have Howard, Simmons, Rowe, Byron Jones as your starting four, Bobby McCain as your nickelback, and then your six through 10 or 11, you're going to have guys like Jamal Wiltz, Nick Needham, Ken Webster, Chris Lamonts, Stephen Parker. You could be 11 deep at that spot and may not have to spend a single resource in the draft. Yeah, I'd still like to see him spend one or two on on potentially developmental prospects. Um, you know, I know I've mentioned him before, but you know, Richard LeCount and and J.R. Reed out of Georgia are two that I'm really high on as far as the safeties go. Um, I mean, it's you start taking those swings while you've got riches. You don't have to hit on them, and you can make a few misses, and you're a lot more likely to hit on those picks between now and the point that you have to. And, and, and that's something we haven't seen from this organization um, in a long time, is getting the answer before it becomes a question mark. And, and, and really, the secondary is somewhere Miami's position to do that. 
So I want to see the Dolphins, whatever they do, I don't want them to just throw a free agent here or a draft pick there at a position that right now is grading at a D. I'm not saying the defensive backs are, but there are some positions on this team that are, and hope that we have an evenly distributed roster. I want them to overload on a position like defensive back Mm -hmm. and say, we're going to dominate you here, and it's going to make the rest of the positions on defense better. That's what the Patriots have done at defensive back, and they put a lot of resources into it. But, yeah, there are some developmental players in the draft, especially with all these these draft picks. The Dolphins have 14 of them this year or are expected to after the the compensatory picks are handed out. Paul, offensively, you know, we, we talk about the same thing every week. Offensive line sucks. You need to get Laird involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mike Gesicki had six catches for 95 yards last time against the Jets, largely lined up with James Bur- Burgess, a former Dolphin, um, they'll be without Jamal Adams in this game here, too. So Mike Kosicki and Devontae Parker, this is a game that both of them really need to take over if the Dolphins are going to win. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, it's and, and honestly, you know, Pete Schrager pointed out on uh, Good Morning Football this past week, there has been no better wide receiver in the NFL since week five than Devontae Parker. And he's right. I mean, it's, it's, I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me, but did you ever think we'd say that? I mean, he, he's out there, Randy Moss and guys left and right. And, and, you know, I think it might've been Schrager. It might've been one of the other guys on, on good morning football was pointing out the fact that he put up a single season highlight reel just in last week's game. And that's not the only game he's been doing that in. So God, I I can't wait to see what Devontae does this week. I'm so sad I won't be there for it. Well, a, a certain writer for the Sun Sentinel very clearly stated that Devontae Parker hasn't improved this year. I, I, I You can't make it up. But huh. anyway, that person will remain nameless for the, the rest of the segment here. Um, yeah, I, I, Devontae Parker on the year, 53 catches, 854 yards, six touchdowns. He used 146 yards this week against a really bad Jets secondary to get a thousand for the year with three games left to play. Probably won't get it, but then again, he had 150 plus last week. So that's, but also too, Mike Kosicki at tight end this year, you know, remember what we were saying about this guy last year about you take a look at the improvement with high pointing the football and good for Ryan Fitzpatrick for being the quarterback that is putting the ball up for Parker and Kosicki to high point. But he has 401 receiving yards this year. That's 13th in the NFL. Um, so it, this looks like a, a certain long-term start. And I'm I'm happy to say I was wrong about Kaseki as as it's looking right now. So uh, th- these are two you got to hang your hat on here for the future here, Paul. So what do you think? Uh, I'm sorry you can't go to the game here this weekend. I know you'll be there in spirit. What's your projection here? I can't believe I get to say this, but – I look at that Jets team last week. I look at their injury report. I look at the fact that this really turns into a home game for the Dolphins. I look the fact at the fact that Adam Gase always outcoaches himself in certain outcoaches himself in certain situations. And what Brian Flores has this roster doing right now. This is the first time this year I get to predict a bloodbath, not against Miami, and I think it's going to be. I'm going to go 37 to 10 
Dolphins. 37 to 10. Um, yeah, that would certainly be a bloodbath. I, I, they have I'm no just secondary shocked. this week. I, I'm shocked they that no... the Jets are favored by five and a half points in this game. It, it, you know, I understand they're at home. Who did that? Omar Kelly? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, five and a half <laughs> points. So what that means is that if this game were in Miami, it would probably be a pick or maybe Jets favored by a point or maybe the Dolphins favored by a point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look at the injuries – that I mean, Jamal Adams being out, uh, Tremaine Johnson and and C.J. Mosley out for the year. Quinn and Williams has been a huge disappointment for them, uh, too. So not a lot going on on either side of the football. The big question is, uh, are the is Sam Darnold going to have enough time to throw the ball in this game? Um, probably. And will, is he going to be able to put a lot of points on the board? Uh, I'm not too sure, but um, I, I'm going to say the Dolphins are going to pull this out too. Um, I'm going to go with 24 to 17 in favor of Miami. And if that is the case here for the draft order and and going back to something you said before, Paul, I do care about the draft position big time. Um, But I I think I'm at the point too, where look, after I saw what they did with the Eagles last week, even before they won, I thought, look, they've got, they've got the jets, the Bengals, the giants, and maybe arrested Patriots team here over the last four games, they're not going 0-4 the rest of the way. And I've just kind of accepted it at this point. But if the Dolphins win and all the other favorites play out, they're going to be picking eighth in the NFL draft. And now we may not be looking at a, at a quarterback. We may not be looking at even a Chase Young or an Andrew Thomas. We may be looking at a different caliber of player there that we've been kind of used to between picks 8 and 12. Then again, the Dolphins do have a lot of ammunition to move up for the player that they want as the draft gets a little bit closer. Yeah, and, and I'll say, I mean, they've got three first-round picks. The odds are pretty damn good they're going to hit on on at least one of those three. I mean, I mean, you look at the number of first-rounders that have washed out over the last 10 years, and not just for the Dolphins. We're not the only team that's had players wash out, believe it or not. Uh, despite what a couple of journalists may lead you to believe it's every team has swings and misses and you know, it's, but you, you take three guys in the first round. I don't care where you take them. I don't care if you take them 30th, 31st and 32nd, there's a pretty good chance you're going to hit on one of them. Just my thoughts. Yeah. And you've got nine picks in the first two rounds here in the next two years. I mean, yeah. yeah, you're not going to hit on every one of them, but it's you basically stack the deck to where it's an impossible to not hit on a few of them. I mean, if they have three first-round picks, mm-hmm. the odds are one will be great, one will be good, and one will be a disappointment, for argument's sake. And yep. if that's the case, those are still pretty good odds. You just hope the great one eventually over the next two years is going to be at the quarterback position so the Dolphins can hit their goal and and get that franchise guy. That will do it for our breakdown of the Dolphins-Jets matchup. Heading into week 14, you can follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Thank you for leaving comments there in the YouTube section. We always like taking a look at them, even if we don't have the time to respond to all of them. Um, I'm Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. And if it's not in the right side and it's not in the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side.
it ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fifth left. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.